Hi, I'm indie actress Jen Page from Dorkness Rising, Geek Seekers, Chop Saki Boom, and more, and you're listening to Genretainment. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to Genretainment. If this happens to be your first time listening to us, then you probably should know that Genretainment is part of the Sci-Fi Pulse Radio.com network. And we're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. I'm the author of the book Television on the Wild Wild Web, a script writer, filmmaker, and some might say part-time superhero. Some might, some <laughs> might not. <laughs> and I'm a writer, actress, and I don't know, not much else. And Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film. TV, books, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. So humble. Just what a superhero would do in their secret identity. Shh. No (laughs) one's supposed to know. Well, this is episode 126, and our guest this time is actress, writer, and web series creator Kate Hackett. She's probably best known as the star and creator of the web series Classic Alice, and she's worked on a wide range of projects over the last few years. Well, Kate tells us about Classic Alice, her most recent film, The Long Dig. She gives us insight into how to run a successful Patreon project, and she tells us the kind of stories that she enjoys in books, on TV, and more. Now, before we start the interview, we should mention that the music you hear at the start and end of the show is from our friend T. Sean Hardy, who composed this theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. Now, let's get started with the interview. Well, hi, Kate. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, people who may not be as familiar with you, you've been in the web series community for a while and uh, you've worked on a lot of great projects. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started with acting and writing? Uh, sure. I I mean, I moved to LA to be an actor. Uh, and then a couple years into that, I was, I kind of realized like, you know, I'm not a moron. I should probably write my own stuff as well. <laughs> and I did, and it did very well. So the well, the first first thing I, I wrote was like a couple of sketches mm-hmm. and they they were fine. I mean, I don't think they were they like blew up or did anything other than one of them hit the front page on Funny or Die, which was kind of cool. But then I wrote Kate and Joe just want to have sex and did a little mini crowdfunder for that. And that started to get a little bit of buzz. And then I did Classic Alice, which was enormous and ran for two years and is now on Amazon and then after that, I did uh, Not a Plan, which is also on Amazon now. So those experiences like made me really realize that I like making my own stuff. I like being in charge. I like writing and uh, sort of went from there, I guess. For those people who maybe haven't seen Classic Alice yet, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So the character gets a bad grade on a test and she decides, or an essay, and she decides to live her life according to different classic novels. So each season is a book. We started with Crime and Punishment, and we did 13 different books. It ran for a really long time. I know there's a lot of uh, literature references and such in your work. Is that, so you're, are you a big book nerd then? Yeah, I'm a, I mean, yeah. Uh, I love reading. I was actually a history major, so there are also lots of like goofy winks to history stuff. Um, one of my favorite things was in the Macbeth arc, the three witches were history majors, uh, just because we can always tell you like, hey, this is going to happen, but no one ever listens to us. So I thought it was a very perfect <laughs> parallel, and it made me laugh. So Classic Alice, you're still on YouTube, but you start moving things to Amazon Prime, 
And uh, I'm just wondering how that experience is and how it differs from YouTube. Dude, it was wonderful. And then Amazon Prime decided, or Amazon decided they wanted to dick us the way YouTube has dicked us. Mm. So I don't know what, uh, so they, like the first couple months, I was, it was great. And the process is a little bit more cumbersome because it is not, it is, does not reward, you know, quantity where you have uploads every week, which means that all you have are vloggers. Mm -hmm. Uh, it rewards people watching it, which is what it should be. Uh, and their metrics for finding you are better, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uploading itself is a little bit more difficult because you have to have closed captions and those files are a pain in the ass. So wound up because classic Alice is so long, we had to do a teeny tiny crowdfunder for that because I was like, I'm not paying for this. This is nuts. <laughs> um, cause it's like $2 a minute or something. And the show is gazillions of minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a little bit more of a pain and their image files are more of a pain, but it was totally worth it. I have no idea if it will be worth it with their new setup. Um, I doubt it. It is really atrocious. They basically halved everybody's income. It it sucks. Just sucks. And there's nowhere else for us to go. So like, what do you do? Yeah. For people who may not be as familiar with how that works with YouTube and uh, Amazon, how how do creators usually get paid? And how, most importantly, how did that change recently for those two? Uh, You you get paid via a rep share. So you get a percent and it's usually a very small percent of ads that they sell. Uh, when Classic Alice was on YouTube and airing every week, I think we were looking at tops 200 a month mm-hmm. on Amazon. And we're talking, this isn't apples to apples because the show has already aired and it's, you know, done. We were making a, double that for a little while to get to. Like, we didn't just right out of the gate make that. But but a rev share just means you're making a tiny amount off of what they are making. And that's stupid and (laughs) shitty because we did all the work. All you're doing is giving us a platform. Like you should totally make money off of it, but you did nothing. You didn't have to put there's no like investment risk for Amazon or YouTube. So (laughs) you guys, I'm cursing. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me, it makes me angry because they, they take advantage of independent creators who have no other option and they deliver these opiate to the masses kind of things with like the YouTube space. Mm-hmm. That sucks. It's you're just it's smoke and mirrors. You're giving us something when really you should be giving us yeah. money. Yeah, it's unfortunate. At least with a traditional publisher, yeah. like in book publishing, they take a big chunk, but at least they're paying everything up front, expenses, and they there's not as much uh, risk financially. They're taking mm-hmm. some risk with right. video platforms. There's no risk, so. None at all. So why are you guys getting so much of the profit? Uh, you know? <clears throat> well, that's too bad. I didn't know Amazon had changed their, their policy recently. Yeah, it was pretty recent. I think it went into, they announced it a month or two ago and it goes into effect for the March uh, payment mm-hmm. cycle. So we'll see what that does. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. I know that YouTube changes hit a lot of YouTube creators pretty hard recently. That they. I know. saw that, yeah. Yeah. So... It's a downer. To, sorry. Yeah, I know. Sorry. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about it, but it's, I don't have a great solution I know. I wish there would be a new platform that's more indie-focused. But that's, that's 
been going on since the internet began. Like, what if we had a better platform for this? And nobody can seem to really get it off the ground because it's so difficult to build up a huge audience base that allows for indie creators to put stuff out. It just doesn't, nothing seems to make sense. Nobody has figured it out. And I don't think I'm the person to figure it out because I have other <laughs> stuff to do. You're too busy creating. So. <laughs> now, you've been using Patreon for a little while now. And it seems yeah. to be going fairly well. That's great. Yeah. So I think as an effort to kind of bridge the gap between nonsense garbage rev share models and artists like, I can't afford to eat, Patreon came in with basically like a constant not a crowdfunder because you're not funding one thing, but it's just a constant tip jar. It's one location where you can go and, you know, put a couple bucks in if you like what somebody's doing. I I really like it. I like their they constantly look for ways to change and make better. Uh, there are a couple things that Patreon does not do. They, I've been very vocal with them. They don't offer a great find. You know, you can't find new people, which kind of sucks the burden is really on the artist to bring people from other platforms to this platform, which is nuts. Like that's just super hard to do, mm -hmm. but it has been really great. Uh, so my Patreon is patreon.com slash Kate Hackett. And it's been pretty life changing. Like I got to cut back my day job hours significantly and focus more on writing and that kind of stuff. So it's been nice. That's good. What kind of things do you offer your patrons? So what I have learned, and this is a new thing that I've learned, um, people don't sign up on Patreon for the rewards. Like when you do a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo, a lot of people sign up for like, oh, I want this t-shirt or I want the mug or whatever. But when you're doing this monthly, people care less about the stuff they get and more just about being part of your team and being supportive and they believe in you or whatever. So I offer, you know, I offer perks and things. I offer like signed photos or one-on-one -on -one chats or, you know, we have a group hangout that we do once a month. But those are by and large bonuses more than they are I, I'm only signing up for this thing. Like I don't really, people have to care about you and what you do more than they care about the stuff they get. So that is a thing I learned this week. <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah. How long have you been on Patreon? Uh, well, I, I I had it for, I don't know, a year or two maybe before I really started paying attention to it because I couldn't quite figure out what to do with it. I think I joined it as, the sh as Classic Alice was ending, but it was – it didn't overlap with the show enough. So, like, I could <laughs> – I had this huge fan base. But they didn't know about the Patreon because I was like, do I steer them there? What do I, how do I get that? And it wound up just sort of sitting there quietly. And then last August, I had gone to Europe in July and I got back and I was like, you know what? Having two weeks off, not tutoring at all. That's my day job. I, I tutor. Like, it's exhausting. That is a mentally taxing day job, which is good for me. I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But it was so tiring. I was not writing and I certainly wasn't shooting anything. So I like made nothing. And that's not why I moved here. So I came back and was, you know, 
oh, I had all this lovely time off. I had all of these ideas. I wrote all this stuff. I want to do this all the time. How can I get my Patreon to help with that? And I, uh, I kicked it into high gear. I got really lucky. I have some amazing patrons who are really supportive. So that's been great. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I just, so the last couple of months, really, I've, I've worked really hard to get it more active and a more vibrant community. And now I think people are friends with each other. Like I have a discord server for them and it's more uh, community than it is just like me based, if that makes sense. <laughs> sure. Sure. That's good. Yeah. So if you were going to give someone a tip, who is because we have a lot of creators who listen to yeah. different formats. Uh, and they're thinking about using Patreon. Uh, what would you suggest for them on how to get? So started? I would say go to mine, and then look at how I've set it up. Like I'm not. I mean, I'm making a decent amount. I have a good number of patrons on there. I'm not perfect, but I, I went to a bunch of different creator Patreons and like stole from them egregiously. But <laughs> see how I've set it up and steal from it. You know, like set it up that way until you get your footing and figure out your voice and then you can set it up the way that you want to set it up. But I think it's a really good skeleton and base. Like I've got a video, I've got the, the story. And when you're doing Patreon, the key is to be very open and honest, which is a little bit tricky because you're taught like, you know, stiff upper lip your way through. And if you've chosen to be an artist, you're choosing to live a difficult life and you shouldn't be complaining about it. But your supporters want to know all of it. They really want to know like, what's going on? Why is this hard? How can we help? And you're asking people for help. So you should ask for people's help. But I think the first step is, is look at how other successful patron, I never know what to call us, creators (laughs) have done and copy from them and see what you can do there. And the other thing is you got to shout about this thing constantly. It's, I think somewhere like people have to read or hear or see something like five times before they go and do it. I might be making that number up, but it's several times before they go and remember to actually pay for it or sign up for it. So you have to do that. You have to build your audience. Patreon does not really help you with that. And I think that's dumb and weird, but that's how it is. And if you have questions, by all means, like ask on Twitter, ask on, you know, Patreon's very responsive. People who are on Patreon are pretty responsive. Like they want to help other people. So it's a nice little community too. Awesome. Yeah. And then for uh, web series creators or maybe indie filmmakers, uh, any suggestions you would give them? Good luck. (laughs) 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 I don't know, man. I think I don't personally watch very many web series. Um, I don't like sitting in front of, first of all, I don't create stuff to be watched on your phone. So it kind of bugs me when, which sounds so snobby, but it kind of bugs me when people are like, I was going to watch this in between class. Like, no, sit down, put it on your TV. (laughs) But so I don't, I don't really watch very many web series. I'm not a big web series connoisseur, but they're a nice gateway. First of all, you can make something which is important. And it's a, it's a place where you can try to jump from, small potatoes to bigger potatoes and you shouldn't look at it as 
your end goal, this is a stepping stone. I think that's the biggest myth that seems like I get asked a lot, like, do you think there's a future in web series? Sure. There's a future in it as a stepping stone to other bigger, better productions. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. This is not where you want to land forever. What sometimes I suggest is that it's sort of like um, how short films were for feature films. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how web series are for yeah, yeah, they are. They are many. They're digestible short films or TV series. Um, and that's great. I think that's an awesome. I, I wish there was like with short films, festival circuits are they, they love it. There's nowhere to really do that with web yet or maybe ever. I don't know that that will happen because sometimes they do get really long. Like Classic Alice was multiple. It was two feature films. So where do you show that? in a bite-sized capacity. It's a little tricky. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's get a little bit back about you real quick. Um, so, you know, what is it that you love so much about classic literature? I mean, I love, it's not specific to classic literature that, that I picked because it's free. Uh, I didn't have to pay for the rights for it. (laughs) It's true. So, uh, I just, I love, I love world building. So I like video games and, you know, Game of Thronesy kind of shows and Game of Thronesy kind of books. I love world building and big expansive playgrounds for you to just imagine stuff and go to. So that's actually I just shot <clears throat> more editing right now um a short called The Long Dig and it was based off of Electric Purple Studios tabletop game like an RPG game. Those worlds are enormous. You can They're so detailed. You can tell bazillions of stories in that kind of world. And I love when I feel like I could live in this universe for a really long time and not dry out of stories. That's what I really like about books and all, all media, like any kind of entertainment. This is not the answer to your question at all. <laughs> I have gone so far off on a tangent. That's what I really like. So if classic literature offers that feeling, mm-hmm. great. I think there are books that have these. If it's a classic book or movie or whatever, there's something in there that touches a universal theme. There's something that everybody can relate to somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's also really cool. Like, Every person has this experience. It doesn't matter how old you are or where you're from or whatever. Everybody knows what it's like to not be loved by someone you like or, you know, whatever the plot line is. To be curious about, I mean, for crime and punishment, to be curious about if you do something really terrible, what happens to you? Like, even though we probably wouldn't walk around admitting like, yeah, I wonder what would happen if I murder someone. It's It has to have touched people in such a way that you know everybody kind of wonders that kind of thing Mm -hmm. if that makes sense oh sure so what do you read you touched on a little bit do you read fantasy watch fantasy i read everything yeah i'm right now i'm reading lincoln and the bardo i just finished a humongous book on the romanoffs Mm -hmm. um so that was nonfiction. i read whatever crosses my plate really i will read it awesome yeah you mentioned uh, the, the Long Dig? Yes, okay. The Long Dig. When you say RPG, is that like a pen and paper RPG or a video game? Yeah, it is, it is. So like in these pen and so the origin story of The Long Dig, I'll give you this 
wowing tale. Uh, so my friend Tom and I have been trying to work together forever. And we would throw scripts back and forth and we would be like, meh, meh. And so he he was like, well, what are you, tell me what you're looking for. And I said, I don't know. I kind of want to do something sci-fi or fantasy because those genres tend to offer really strong female characters. They just gravitate towards that. So he goes, okay, I, I have a short story that I wrote. I can't, we can't do this one because it doesn't belong to me, but like read it and see if this is the right world for you. And I read it and I loved it. And he was like, no, I told you not. <laughs> so we, we went to, he wrote it for the rule book. Cause you know, those rule books are so boring without, you know, art and mm -hmm. stories and stuff like that. So they had him write short stories for it. So we went to the guys who made the game and we said, Hey, can we make this into a movie and maybe we can time it to release with the game. And Tim Vaughn, the guy at electric purple was like, yes. Also here's money. And Tom and I were like, Whoa, this worked out great. <laughs> so we made a movie. So there's going to be a movie with this, indie tabletop rpg which is really cool it's awesome yeah yeah and it looks really good it looks so real and and creepy and the monster we have a, a cgi monster that we're making and that thing looks terrifying i'm really <laughs> proud of it well awesome that's very cool oh, i'm sorry what was the name of the game the name of the game is aeronauts aeronauts okay yeah to check it out when it comes out yeah so, oh when is that slated to premiere the movie, we were hoping later this year, maybe end of the year kind of thing, but we, we're not totally sure. The The CGI aspect of it is going to take, yeah. uh, you know, the time it takes. Right now, our edit is pretty close, we think, which is great. We, we finished shooting end of January, so it's not easy to edit an action film that you shot in two days. Like, <laughs> it's... Uh, <laughs> It's a tricky thing. So I'm happy with the pace we're on right now. I think the CGI will slow us down, though. Usually action films, if you have any choreography, you got a lot more quick takes sometimes. Since it's a lot more cutting. Yeah. It, what happened was it's – so it's a 15-page action film that we shot in two days. And on the page, if you're, if you're running, right, like it doesn't take very long to say character run, mm -hmm. but it takes a lot longer to shoot that than it does indicate on the page. So mm – -hmm. Uh, there's a lot of footage and then there's some stuff that we maybe didn't have time to get multiple coverages of. And, you know, I'll look at a take and I'll be like, um, I don't love this. Can we? And the editor's like, no, we cannot. You did not shoot it. So no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, cool. I look forward to seeing yeah. that. So is there any genres in television you watch? I, yes. All of, all of them. All I'm, them. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I mean, that's also part of, my job, like as a writer and an actor, I need to know kind of what's on, at least insofar as what's on that I would be on. Uh, I'm not a huge network sitcom or drama person that I'm, I, without like angering a network, I just, it's not my jam, which doesn't mean that I wouldn't be on it. I would definitely, but uh, I, I love. The Good Place is probably the, and This Is Us. Those are some network shows that I really like. Um, but single camera comedies tend to be my 
turning point. I love stuff on like Better Call Saul is great. I'm rewatching Parks and Rec because I wanted to feel simultaneously hopeful and deeply saddened. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Game of Thrones, Veep, that kind of stuff. Anything smart is is where I wind up enjoying myself. So how do you think Game of Thrones is going to end? Oh, I don't f***ing care anymore. (laughs) This season was so bad, man. Oh, you didn't like this season too fast? It it is very different. Well, I I did think the pace, like, why did they shorten it? That's so silly. Mm -hmm. But um, I just, it felt incredibly predictable. So the whole exciting thing about Game of Thrones, in my opinion, is that actions have consequences. And sometimes there are consequences you can't predict. But when you think back on it, you're like, oh, yeah. So-and-so did such-and-such, which meant that this person did that, and here we are. So, like, the Red Wedding was so cool because you could trace it back to a mistake that Rob made. He f***ed up. And this season, it was just like, okay, cool, murder dragon. This looks neat, but there's no emotional payoff here. Jamie not dying was ridiculous. I'm spoiling this for everyone. <laughs> Do not listen to this if you have not watched this season's Game of Thrones. Jamie should have died. Mm-hmm. It's crazy that he didn't. There's just, there's some, and I don't care about Daenerys and Jon Snow. That is such a yawn to me because it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, most recent season was more your standard yeah. Hollywood format. Yeah. yeah. It was, and that's really disappointing to me. I I know that John and Daenerys are end game in the book too, which kind of bums me out and makes me not really want to read it. But <laughs> who'd you want them uh, to the pair? Who who are you shipping instead? <laughs> nobody. I don't want anyone to get together because you're a fucking war. You should be concentrating <laughs> on the war. Uh-huh. Like you can bone later. <laughs> and the Sansa. The Sansa story this season was really a bummer. Like, they were acting their hearts out with that, but it was just like, come on. Mm. <laughs> Yuck. Well, it's almost over. But... Yeah. I mean, I'll watch it. I'll just gonna, I'm just going to be angry the whole time. I'm going <laughs> to angry watch it. <laughs> and they're going to do spinoffs and all that stuff, so who knows what I am excited do. about the spinoffs. I don't think the two head writers are in charge of those, but I'm I love that world. Like, I think it's there's so much in there to play with. I am super bummed that we didn't really get, are you familiar with book game of Thrones? Do you know that whole, I, I haven't read all those books, okay. but I, I know. So I'm going to say things and you're going to be like, I don't know, Kate, but like <laughs> I was bummed that we didn't get into the sea star stuff and the, the bastard children. And you know, there's a whole subplot that we didn't need, but I, I like it because I like the history of this, kind of thing like I, my ex-fiance makes fun of me because or made fun of me because I have this like huge fake history book of a fake world that I am into <laughs> like I'll sit and trace family trees and he's like this isn't real I don't care <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good it's good especially yeah. as a writer you got to have that mindset. yeah I, and I I like real history too so it's it's up my alley and then you can also see like his stories are based on historical events so it's kind of fun i think book readers watching the show for the first like four or five seasons spent 
a good portion of their enjoyment going, ha ha, I know what's going to happen and you don't. Mm -hmm. As a history student of history, like I watch this show still and I'm like, I know what this is and you don't. <laughs> it's, it's just like it's War of the Roses, but with dragons, I'm smart. So it's that feeling and I really enjoy Cool, cool. That. <laughs> yeah. Is there any um, existing book series, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever that you think would make a good TV show that hasn't happened yet? Uh, I feel like if Patrick Rothfuss's hasn't been optioned, I, I would be surprised. But I think that's uh, everybody's looking for their next Game of Thrones. So I would be surprised if the big ones aren't getting that treatment. I'm, I'm, I'm peering at my bookshelf right now because I have a I have a bookshelf for series of books and I'm trying to figure out like which ones. The Magicians has already been done. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know what would be great? Have you read the Thursday Next series? Mm -mm. Nope. Oh, so good. So Jasper, I think, Ford, I don't know how to say his last name. He wrote this series of books, and it's about this woman who can, like, go into novels, and she, you know, runs around and has adventures. That would be really cool. I would watch that for ever's. Oh, that sounds good. What was it again? Yeah. Next. Uh, Thursday next. Thursday next. I'll check that out. Yeah. I'm an avid reader also, but usually just, well, it's a mixture of stuff, but a lot See? of sci-fi fantasy and stuff. Okay, cool. What are you, what would you want out oh, there? What I want? Yeah. I adapted. asked the question. <laughs> I'm teasing. No. I'm asking. Um, gosh, I don't know. I have to look at a bookshelf here. You see? <laughs> I think it would be very, very hard to translate. I do think there's a lot of potential in Wild Cards book series. Oh, I think I've read that. It's a shared world. A lot of anthology stories is edited by George R. R. Martin. It's a lot of superheroes, but it's like, what if superheroes really existed? And what would that uh, look like? And it goes through, it originally starts like right after World War II. And then the first few books are like historical pieces that went throughout America's history. I'm going to put a cap on this particular series because if he doesn't f***ing finish Game of Thrones, <laughs> I'm going to hold you personally responsible. <laughs> well, Wild Cards is a little different because uh, it's a weird anomaly in in publishing in a way because it's been around since like the 80s. Yeah. And um, so there's like different time periods, I guess, of because they stopped for a long time. They like wrapped up oh, stuff. Okay. Then they started back up a few years ago. Had a trilogy that was like it was really weird. It was like touching on stuff about the Middle East, while also touching on reality TV and stuff. Like they make a reality TV show of trying to put mm. together a hero team, but they have to go and fight in the Middle East. It's very gritty and real there in the Middle East. Yeah, so it's it gets really history-ish. So in some places, if you like, um, again though, I don't want him writing that instead of <laughs> no, no, no. Well, he doesn't. He edits. He writes some of them, and then there's a bunch of other sci-fi writers write the other stories like a lot of them that have uh, oh, okay that's cool yeah become big writers and in, in their own right so it's, it's interesting it's very dark though yeah. very dark some very dark twists it's dark but yeah stuff like that Magi what do you think of magicians do you like that in, in adaptation i i thought it was really clever what they did they set it up so that so that the books and the show can exist in the same universe because they've made it so that like alternate timelines exist. I don't know if, are, are, have you watched it? I've watched the first two seasons. I haven't watched the third. Okay. So I, it was in the first two seasons where they established that like 
they exist on multiple planes. Mm-hmm. And I, I really liked that as a device for like, they can depart from the books and they're not stuck in that, you know, that story. I, I really love the books though. Like, but they're, they can move in different directions and it's not, I'm not left going, wait a minute. What? <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, so I that's that. that's the, the whole time loop thing that they had? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So one of those is supposed to be the book, I guess? Is that what yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Isn't that cool? I I thought that was very smart. I really liked that decision. That is, that's cool. Oh. Yeah. I, I like after that episode I like stopped and thought about it for a while and I was like, I really like that. <laughs> I live alone and talk about <laughs> That's all right, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess uh, one more tip, if you don't mind, uh, as an actress, just an acting, like for somebody who's going into acting and trying to start a career, what would you yeah. suggest for them? I have lots of tips for this, actually. First, do not just study acting. I think you should be a well-rounded person because when you are acting, you are inhabiting other people's skins, and most of those people are not actors. So you don't want to pigeonhole yourself as a person in your life but you also don't want to pigeonhole your work so i i mean i'm not saying don't major in acting don't don't study it but consider double majoring if you must study acting i also think it's important to stay in class because when you're not it's a it's not something that you peak and like you don't learn all of it like you know you learn algebra you've learned algebra or whatever there's but there's always more to it uh, there's more to learn and uncover because it's very fluid. So stay in class, take breaks, but always be ready to go back. Don't don't get locked in. I guess this goes with the first thing. Like don't get locked into just being an actor. Find other things you are good at and do those as well. It's people here, especially, have this like shame about if you're not just acting, you're a failure. And I think that's really stupid because super successful actors don't just act anymore. They also produce and they throw their weight around and they do other things. And it's so much more fulfilling to know that, yeah, okay, I didn't get that job, but I'm going to make my own job and I'm going to be good in that instead. There's a lot that you can't control. So pick something that you can and do that too. Cool. Yeah. With your own acting, is there a certain approach you take that you've been taught or you just... Yeah, I mean, I've been... I do I do a lot of things. So it depends on the character. Some characters are really easy for me and I don't have to do a lot of backstory work. Some characters are more difficult, so you need to spend more time with them. Um, but when I get a script, I ask myself, who am I? What do I want? What would, or what would make me happy in this moment? Uh, what's my problem? Who is the other person? Who does this person remind me of in my life? What am I not going to admit? You know, what am I hiding or, or unable to say even to myself? And, and then I kind of try to get the words down. My personal problem, I guess, is that I'm a thinker. I'm smart and I think, and then you get in your head and acting isn't necessarily about like, thinking you have to just be so I try to get it all out on the page and then stop thinking uh which is hard <laughs> that's funny so I see that. yeah oh, cool. I guess that's my my approach 
It, what was the hardest character you ever had to play? I'm actually in class right now. I'm playing. Have you seen Doubt? Um, I don't think so. So it was with Meryl Streep and Amy Adams and what's his face? Who died? Philip C. This is Hoffman. Oh yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> uh, so the the play it's a play as well, and the movie and the play are about the '60s and a an African-American boy enrolls in parochial school. He's the only African-American boy there. And a priest is assigned to the school and the head of the school is the nun, his sister Aloysius. And she thinks that the priest is uh, sexually abusing the boy. And he insists that he is. So the whole play is, there is no answer. You do not know at the end of it, did he do it or not? So she strongly thinks that he did. He is saying he did not. And I, and then Sister James is Amy Adams' character, and she's kind of caught in the middle. She's a new nun. She's very young. She's like, I don't know. I don't know who to believe here. I don't know who to respect. And the Catholic Church is very hierarchical, and it's very male-dominated. So the priest is always in charge of everything, even if he he's kind of parallel to the nun. It, anyway, so... In that, I am not playing, so in class, I'm not playing Sister James, which is the character that I would be playing, like, if this were out and about real life. I'm playing Meryl Streep's character, and it's really hard because I know how old she is written to be, and I am not that, and so I'm having to fight that preconceived notion, and I'm struggling a little bit with that and then a little bit with, like, how do you behave with, I'm not a nun, how do you behave with a priest who you think had sex with a child, but you can't confront him? Like, there's no CPS, there's no, where do you go? It's, I'm struggling with it, partially because the character is not something I would be playing at this point in my life, which is the point. Like, you want to stretch and try things that you wouldn't get outside of class in class so that's my current frustration (laughs) (laughs) but as far as like yeah as far as characters that have been hard in the real world it's actually funny we don't until you're working 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 you tend to get the same kind of character over and over again Mm -hmm. and it isn't usually too very far from you so i don't think i've been cast in something and had a really difficult struggle finding that character mm-hmm. all right i think that just about wraps it up before okay. we go though won't you tell everybody where they can find you and your work yes okay so patreon.com slash kate hackett is number one best most awesome way to stay in touch with me because it's smaller and i can definitely talk to you uh the second thing is twitter i'm at hackett kate and on instagram i'm at hackett kate and then facebook i think i'm like slash actress kate hackett so those are the places to go find me, and then we can be friends from there. Hey, everybody. This is Jordan Gibson. I play Dark Star on Super Knocked Up, the web series, and you're listening to Genretainment. <laughs> Thanks to Kate for chatting with us. We will have all the links mentioned on the episode in the show notes. Well, so that's it for today's episode of Genretainment. But before we go, we want to remind you that you can always keep track of us by subscribing to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or by following our Genretainment Facebook page, Marx's Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks, 
by clicking over to genretainment.com, or you can follow all of the shows at scifipostradio.com. We're back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until, Until next, next time. time. Bad monkey.